Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome, everyone. I'm Trista Dedman, and this is the Liberate Yourself podcast. This is a sacred space where we discuss methods of cultivating personal sovereignty during these transitional times. My guest for this transmission is Dr. Nandi Hatenyi. Nandi is a psycho-spiritual healer that holds safe space for others to transmute their deepest soul wounds. We discuss her journey to integrate dual lives as psychotherapist and spiritual seeker, the energetic language of trauma, and healing the death mother archetype that is running rampant through the collective. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you that this podcast is supported by a group of benevolent beings on Patreon. Patrons receive exclusive content and monthly readings for guidance on their own path. To find out more and join this growing community, visit patreon.com slash liberate yourself. I know you're going to find some valuable wisdom in this discussion with Nandi, so sit back, drop in, and let's get to it. I'm really, I've really been enjoying the of course, always the posts that you share. I feel like your posts are like mini healing sessions. Like by the time you get done with it, something has, has transpired and healed and been, been uncovered and gone through a really healing process. So. Oh, wow. Thank you for that. Yeah. I've actually heard that from a couple of people and it really, to me, it's like, because of where the writing is coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because every time I sit down to write, I have no idea what's going to come through. Like I meditate and then like sort of like I get little like trickles here and there, but I can never like sit down and go, I'm going to write about, <laughs> you know, this specific kind of thing today. And then I'll just sit there for like an hour and nothing will happen. It has to come from a different place, which is always requires a little wrangling. <laughs> yeah. I can um, totally so relate. I, like, I love that reflection. <laughs> yeah. I can totally relate my, it does, it flows like during meditation. And when we, you get into that quiet space, using prompts, like writing prompts and things like that just don't seem to work because then the, the writing is just stilted and from this place of trying yeah, or from trying to mind. prove or something from the mind. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have to try to say this thing. It's been a a huge unlearning for me because of my education. Yeah. So like to be able to just like write from my soul. (laughs) Right. And not have results, not have a results oriented approach, I think. Well, or part of it. um, I was just talking to my friend the other day who we went to the same grad school and, and I was joking with him. I was like, you know, I kind of feel like I have a PhD in other people's thoughts because like when I write a dissertation, you can't like, just be like, here's what I think, Mm -hmm. right? You have to be, here's what I think. And what I think is valid because like 12 other people had similar thoughts. Wow. Yeah. And then, and then it's like a whole chapter of like a whole literature view of what everybody else thought about this thing. And then any like thinking that you have about the thing, you have to like back it up with other people's thoughts about the thing, you know, and you can't, you can't just have a thought. 
you know, so it took a lot of like unlearning for me to feel like what I have to say is valid without having to like go and do 12 million years of research. So (laughs) you just, yeah, you just helped me because I had the same feelings for sure. I think this past year, I think a lot of us are going through that too, especially since this is Aries season. It's kind of that time to just be confident in what you are bringing through that's been a huge unlearning for me as well. So thank yeah. you for, yeah. thank you for validating the, you know, not needing validation or not <laughs> needing to validate one's energy stream. Well, I mean, that's a huge unlearning from healing the death mother archetype. Mm-hmm. Which we will definitely get into. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Um, Cause that's a big part of what my process has been. <laughs> yeah. So for sure. So Nandi, uh, I want to, you know, formally welcome you to this space. Thank you so much for dropping in and sharing this space with me. Oh yeah. It's a pleasure. I love connecting with you. (laughs) Thanks. I do too. It's so easy. I always have these, these resonances or these feelings the morning of an interview And a lot of times it's me, I'm still nervous, but I can kind of feel the person's energy, like what it's sort of going to be like. And yours this morning was just really easy, just, just flowing and I'm not that nervous. And yeah, it's just, it feels really great. Good. I'm glad I was a little nervous. It was funny because I started like feeling like I had to prepare. I like printed out this article about the death mother and I was like, wait, (laughs) No, you don't have to prepare to be yourself. Exactly. <laughs> you don't have to prepare like to whole, talk about what you love. <laughs> yeah, the whole archetypal journey itself, right? Is you don't actually have to prepare to be yourself. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, one of yeah. one of the reasons I find your work, you and your work, fascinating, and what you're doing is because you've developed a unique form of healing that blends your past background and training in psychotherapy with shamanic practices like dream work and soul retrieval, among others. If you could start out sharing with us a little bit of what your your offerings and your services look like now, how you work with clients and what you provide. Yeah. What does your work look like at mm. this point in time? What does it feel like? Mm. It feels really good. <laughs> yeah. I call it healing the soul wound, which I think is really a way of talking about healing trauma from the perspective of the soul and from the perspective of spirit. So the work that I do really looks like holding a space for people to feel safe. Uh, It's really based on these three principles that the trauma has these sort of three flavors of fear, disconnection, and shame, Mm -hmm. right? And so my work is about creating safety, reconnection, and love. Beautiful, because we're so Uh, disconnected. (laughs) Yeah, and and so I feel like a bulk of the healing work I do is really about learning how to feel safe, being here, being in our body, 
I think there's so much amazing work out there around trauma and healing the soul wound, but you know, it was really my own journey of realizing how the ground of that all starts with feeling safe. The work I do, it's all one-on-one sessions and it all happens usually in a three-month container. Soul retrievals are just a different sort of situation if we just do a soul retrieval, but it's really looking at what's happening in your physical, emotional, and energy body that's preventing your full energy from being safe in your body, right? Because most Mm. of our bodies don't feel safe. And if our bodies don't feel safe, right, then we don't actually feel safe to fully inhabit our body. And the ironic thing is, is that we experience full safety when we're able to actually be in our body. Yeah. But if we're like tethered, we will never feel safe. Tethered so, to what do you think? Um, do you I think people that? like sort of live in their their cognitive body, and so to me, like energetically, that looks like sort of being tethered, like yeah, it's like a b- balloon, and like I'm holding a balloon, and all my energy is like up here, yes, and I'm like holding on for dear life, but down here, like there's no awareness, uh, and then it's really working with the emotional and spiritual impact of trauma. It's not we don't really talk about the spiritual impact of trauma, especially early childhood or like developmental trauma and how that's our introduction to our connection to spirit Mm -hmm. and our our relationship to life because it's our body that's walking around in the world having Mm -hmm. the experience and so if we don't have like a good connection to life then we feel tethered and so I really feel like that's probably really the work I do is how do we come back into the body and feel safe being here and then learn Um, how to heal the inner mother and father, right? How do we actually be good parents to ourselves? Mm -hmm. Because that really is the default, right? Is well-being and feeling safe and yeah, yeah, being comfortable in our bodies so that we can do and express what we came here to do and express, you know? Absolutely. (laughs) And I think that that takes a long time. It can, yeah, especially with trauma, And if we didn't get the proper care and structure and mapping for that told us that the world is a safe place, it can take a while to really, truly believe that I'm speaking from personal experience and I'm sure I'm not the only one. It can take a while to really remap that and feel safe. Yeah. In your own body without it being without looking for it outside of us. Most of us, that's what we do, right? Yeah, looking looking for it in other people, in vices, distraction. Do, do you find that to be true? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I almost feel like codependency is sort of the default like human condition. Yeah. Right? That it's not even like an addiction, right? But that it's really sort of the default human condition to like go out and find find the love outside of us, find the safety outside of us, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, from an archetypal perspective, right? Then it's like trying to find the God outside of us, trying to find the mother or the father outside of us, right? That will um, mirror, yeah, mirror back our own love and goodness. Yeah, and like heal our inner child. And I do inner child work in my work with my clients, but I also always work with the inner mother and the inner father because who is it that's actually taking care of the child (laughs) right because like I actually think our body 
is actually the inner child, right? And then I feel like our mind and how we treat our body, how we treat our emotional body is how we parent ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like we have to like turn the lens and look at the who is the parent, which really brings up the death mother archetype a lot, right? Because if the parent, the lens that we're viewing ourselves through is that you don't deserve to be here, you know, you're not wanted, why are you crying? Why are you upset? Why are you hurting? And then Mm -hmm. we're trying to approach the inner child with these beliefs that the inner child is flawed and just needs to be fixed. I feel like Mm. it's this very, very subtle, like way that we recreate our constant experience from our childhood inside of us. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost, it sounds almost like, I don't know how to say it, but like a strange internal transference or That's exactly it. Um, From a psychoanalytic perspective, you internalize your parents. And so you actually, like, if you think of your psyche as a movie screen, right, you have an inner mother and an inner father, right? And we have a relationship with the inner mother and father. And, um, And I notice, like, in the work I do, people are very protective of ever seeing anything negative about their actual parents. And I find that when I start to go, it's not actually about your actual parents. I mean, it can be, and it usually is, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's also about our inner parents because no matter how much work I do with my actual mother in the world, if I'm still being a bad mother to myself, that was how, when I got sober, that was my big wake up call was how I actually discovered all the work that I do now with people. Yeah. Do you want to talk um, about your background a little bit and your journey up to this point? uh, Where to start? (laughs) So really where I come from, first of all, sort of the beginning and end of the story in a way is Mm -hmm. that I'm the first person in my family born in this country. Both of my parents are from Hungary Mm -hmm. um, and they grew up in World War II. And they they immigrated here, they met here, and they both have an an overwhelming amount of trauma from World War II, not to mention all the intergenerational trauma. And so I got, I got all of that. So in a way, like I was born in in, in between, right? Because like, I'm the first person in my entire family born in this country. I have never really actually experienced belonging in, in my family because I don't, Um, Even though it's like my family and I theoretically belong, I don't speak Hungarian. I'm a totally different creature. Wow, I never Uh, thought about that. Yeah, In my family. And and I grew up basically translating for my parents and taking care of my parents and like doing taxes for my parents. And then I parented myself, really. Like I had to figure out how to get through school. Like I got through school. And so I, I think you know, being a parentified child is something that a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it's just how it is. And it took me a time to realize how much I spent my life unconsciously trying to make up for my parents' immigration and their acculturation and that I need to be successful in order for my family to feel like they legitimately like immigrated here. And that's actually what I, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's actually what I wrote my dissertation on was I interviewed a lot of people who are second generation immigrants and there's this unconscious pressure to like, I have to like sort of validate this. And so Mm. I come, I come from this like lineage of trauma and addiction 
there's also this theme in my family of exile, right? Like my parents moved here, they've exiled themselves from their family. And now I have exiled myself from my family. I don't live anywhere near them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that really led me on this very interesting path. Like I always knew I wanted to help people. I'm going to be a therapist, you know, cause I feel like in this culture, like that's what you do. If you want to help people is you become a therapist. Right. And so like I put myself through college all of it, a grad school, undergrad, all of that time was also an alcoholic <laughs> mm. um, because it was a lot. I wouldn't have called myself ever an alcoholic, but I drank a lot. And then I discovered spirituality. I actually moved up here to the Bay Area was in a spiritual organization, <laughs> which one could call a cult (laughs) Um, for about 11 years during which time I was sober and I um, was in grad school and so I was getting my doctorate in clinical psychology while I was steeped very very deeply in yoga and Buddhist practices and also developing a severe codependency on a spiritual teacher and Mm -hmm. and um, actually using spirituality as a form of escaping my pain Right. And I didn't actually realize that any of that was happening, but I basically got my PhD. I got, I had psychoanalytic training. I had a two-year postdoc and then I had a five-year psychoanalytic practice. And so a lot of my experience in my life was a lot of splitting of not really feeling like I belong anywhere or that I could really be like my whole self. And so I have this sort of psychoanalytic persona going on. Yeah. Um, and then I would leave that and then I had this whole like, oh, I'm like a spiritual goddess and wow. it's a spiritual thing going on. And, uh, and I left everything. Like, my, like both, I, everything. Yeah, I left wow. everything. I, I finished, I got my degree and I left my private practice. I left psychoanalysis because my soul is like shriveling. Like I love the intellectual part of it, but the actual work I was, oh my God, I'm going to die if I have to do this the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. Cause you were doing more Freudian based psychoanalysis, not yeah. like Jungian. Yeah. Yeah. It okay. was more, more traditional psychoanalytic and uh, relational. It was very like, yeah, like psychoanalytic psychotherapy, but heavy. I like was working on psychoanalysis. It was super heavy and it's also very long term and slow. And it was really driving me crazy because I was also apprenticing with this medicine woman and learning about energy work. And, and I was like, Oh, so the really funny part about this whole story is that I actually started my business during all of this time because I didn't want to have it to live off of student loans. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to start a coaching practice. And I started taking people on journeys and I had no idea that a shamanic journey was even a thing. It's just something that was probably the most me mm-hmm. of everything I was doing. And so I left everything. I left the psychoanalytic work. I left my spiritual community and all I had was this work that I was doing. Um, and then I started drinking again mm. for two, two years. And so three years ago, decided to stop drinking. I basically had like what um, I think Christians would call a come to Jesus moment. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, but for me, because I think I spent so much time practicing in Buddhism, I had sort of a green Tara moment. Like she just appeared to me one day, like very, very viscerally was like, you have important work to do in the world and you need to stop drinking and you need to go to, you need to go get help. Um, so I did, that was the catalytic, like that was everything. 
Yeah. You know, that was my wake up call to how disconnected I was from spirit and how I never healed the spiritual and emotional part of trauma. And that that was my addiction is that I was looking for spirit. You know, mm-hmm. how, how, how could I have been doing all this work, all the spiritual work, all these personal development workshops, all the coaching, everything I was doing, how could I still be so disconnected from God? And so I would say I'm really coming out of a very, very intense healing experience that I had to heal myself, you know, mm-hmm. and so all the dream work, all the shamanic journey work, all the, the Jungian work, and basically everything I do now came out of my experience of getting myself sober. Mm. Well, just curious, when when was that break, that catalyzing point where you had the the vision about three years ago. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious because a lot of, I think we all, a lot of us had these very extreme circumstances happen that threw us onto our, our intended path around 2016. Like that, that yeah. seems to be like a, a window in oh, time when things shifted. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It was right smack dab in like July, 2016. I, left my relationship that I was in and because I realized that I couldn't be sober and be in that relationship and mm. it, be, it was the beginning of my life mm-hmm. you know which is really funny to say considering you know all the life that's been lived prior to that you know all the travel and everything I did and it all has value and it all informs mm-hmm. but it's just different yeah it's, just, it's so different That's what I think is so fascinating and beautiful just about the life experience and the journey of it all. That's why I like to hear everyone's journey (laughs) is because the, the way that we take our background, even if it's not the form that it was then is not relevant to our daily lives. Now we do still incorporate it. Like I feel like the psychoanalysis and psychotherapy was this great container where you learned how to be with people or how to, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, how how you like learn to hold space for people and to yeah have the intellectual cognitive v- lens sort of on these things and then the the spiritual life was more brought in the the expansive part of our of our soul and human nature in general and like just hearing those two and and hearing about how you're you're now sort of fusing them together or the way that you're blending that together now is really, really beautiful and inspiring and helping so many people. Like I said, even just your writing is helping. I feel it hits people on that, on their, their core wounds, potentially. I know that you've hit a couple of mine that I was like, damn, I didn't even know that was there. You know, I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> I find it yeah. fascinating inner, inner parents. I, don't, I think that's something that's an archetype that isn't talked about very much. We hear about the inner child all the time, heal the inner child, get in touch with the inner child, but putting it in the framework of we have inner mother and father as well is so helpful because yeah, I've gone my whole life not realizing that, that I was playing the detrimental roles myself towards myself. And then I guess I have to ask, when did you meet the death mother? (laughs) And can you please explain what the death, the death mother, please? Yeah. Yeah. So first, absolutely. I still use psychoanalytic work. Um, I feel like psychoanalytic work is actually very shamanic. 
it's how you listen to the unconscious, like everything that I learned, you know, I mean, I have binders and binders and binders and books and books and books and all psychoanalytic theory is boils down to is that when you're sitting with a patient is that you learn how to listen to the unconscious mind, which is very powerful and actually very hard to turn off once you learn how to do it when you're in the world. I really have to learn how to turn it off because people like the unconscious is always communicating. And that's to me, the heart of shamanic work. It's the heart of who I am is that I just really understand how to listen to the unconscious and interpret it and translate it, which is why dream work, you know, it's like literally you can have a conversation and it's like learning how to listen to everything people say is if it's a dream and you can, it's very powerful work. And I think Jung just, I wish I'd known that he existed when I was in my training. So I do still incorporate it and you know, that's the heart of psycho-spiritual training is that we're not just spiritual beings having human experience. We're human and being human is a psycho-spiritual experience. The way that our actual animal body works is through psychology and through energy and through emotions and how the unconscious communicates through us is through symbols and through energy and through emotions. And so we, so that's why I, I fuse them together is because sometimes we need psychological support and sometimes we need spiritual support. And I'm really glad that I did my training because I also really have training in how to work with trauma. Because I think there's a lot of people out there that talk about being trauma coaches that read a book about healing trauma and now they help people with trauma. And right. it's very da- it's very dangerous. I mean, I've been helping people with trauma for like 25 years. And mm. It's like you need to know more than what a book tells you <laughs> yeah. about about trauma. And I just feel like there's ethically, and um, you know, if people are listening to this and looking for people to help them with trauma training is actually very important as much as they say in the world of you know personal development and coaching that the training doesn't matter I think that there are places that it does I don't do psychotherapy but I think that you have to really know how to hold trauma in a very specific way Um, I agree I completely agree with you with that there's some parts um, I sort of run into that being an astrologer because there are Um, Mm -hmm. I've had to, I've had to, you know, ethically give my, like not give myself that permission to look at trauma signatures with clients. Like I know that I don't have the specific training to hold that container for that to come up and erupt. I know that that is very, I agree with you. It's, It's very important to have, I think there's validity in the intellectual and cognitive approach to be able to hold someone's mind when it's reliving experiences, right? Yeah. I love how you name that the trauma signatures, because I feel like that's the soul wound is the frequency of the trauma signature. Mm. And, and, and when we learn the frequency, which is why I love the work that you do, because I feel like the gene keys too, like, right. Like when you learn the frequency of your soul wound, like that's been the most liberating thing to me to realize like when it's a very specific frequency that shows up in my body to be like, Oh, like my, my trauma's up right now. And then I can parent myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead of living inside of the frequency. Now I don't live inside of it. And now I can be like, Oh, I have to parent myself because I'm having like, I'm totally triggered right now. And so, but that is, you know, you asked about the death mother. I actually learned 
about the death mother like last year or like a year and a half ago or something. Um, somebody sent me an, a Marion Woodman article about her interview with the death mother and I read it and I had a huge emotional release and then I gave the packet to a client and then I like forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then about a while ago, I, I um, the beginning of the year, I uh, so I'm having like a Uranus return or something like that. Like, mm, you're having the Uranus, supposed like, Uranus transit, I believe. Yes, I am. And uh, so I had astrologer was like, oh, like this is sort of the year that you integrate your animus. And I was like, oh, okay. So I started working on that. And then of course, what should show up when I move to integrate the masculine shadow is the death mother. How would I describe her? So it's this archetypal energy that's really around like having this trauma that comes from somebody that suppo you're supposed to like be deeply loved and held and belong to, right? And so for most of us, that's our mother. And it is the wounded feminine, right? And, and really feeling, seeing how we can't actually heal or integrate the masculine shadow if the inner feminine is being abused, and so she's really like, you know, the energy that holds, like freezes us, turns us to stone. The myth of the death mother that um, a lot of Jungians like to share is about Medusa, right? And how she was raped in Athena's temple by Poseidon. And Athena was, you know, like the daughter of Zeus and sort of the patriarch's daughter, Right. And she found out that her temple got desecrated and they didn't go after Poseidon. Right. She captured Medusa and turned her in, mm. into, a, into a demon. Right. Into like this Gorgon with this, you know, and then put her in a cave. Right. And so now anybody that looked at her got turned to stone. She was raped and then punished for being raped. And I think that that is sort of the archetypal myth that gets told a lot about the death mother and I feel like she's in the modern day version of that is the mother the unmothered mother right the mother who didn't want to have children and um, the energy of the mother who when she's pregnant like doesn't want the baby finds out it's a boy and she wanted a girl right I mean it's this energy of death right that somehow in the energetics of the mother, there's a deep communication of, I resent you, I don't want you, I'm envious of you, maybe even like, I wish you were dead and, and neglect and like sort of the opposite of what we think of as like a good enough mother. And how we internally experience that is that I am not wanted by life. I don't belong here. My, my Shakti, my life force, my energy is not safe here. I am not safe here. And it's like literally infused in our cells of our body. The death mother's present when we're little, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like she just emerges. And so I, when I got sober, I always had this intuition that my addiction to alcohol is deeply, deeply connected to seeking the energy of a soothing mother. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I got sober, I there was doing a lot of healing work around mother wound, but then this piece came up of really seeing how it's like seeking the energy soothing through something that's actually killing you. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Wow. That that's what addiction is. 
but that's also what codependency is like you were to like pull it into like modern times of like the narcissist empath relationship that everyone talks about I feel like the narcissist sort of becomes the death mother right mm-hmm. and then the empath is the, the child who had a death mother and then it's like this constant trauma gets played out over and over and over again we're trying to we're we have a very deep unconscious compulsion to complete the cycle of our trauma which is why we repeat patterns well wow. um, mm-hmm. and the death, death mother pulls us towards death like she freezes us you know and so I've been facing her for a year now you know and it's like literally like it's in the nervous system right like every time I move to create something new to like really express myself or speak my truth or to like just move into the world in some incredible life affirming way like I just bought a car it's mm-hmm. like the death mother comes in. Who do you think you are? And like the bot, like you almost get turned to stone and like, like moving through the world with severe anxiety. And I think a lot of people walk through the world with severe anxiety. I agree. And yeah. it feel, I would think that that leads to this sort of disembodied feeling. Like we were talking about in the beginning, like I don't belong in my body. I don't feel safe in my body. Like that just kind of, that word kind of came to me. Like it's like being disembodied and just living in the, the head. What I've experienced is like going into hyper survival mode drive, like instead of thriving and just knowing that thriving is natural and expected by life and by source, whatever you want to call it, that, um, It's like this constant wheel of survival that may be like just my specific imprinting, but I don't know that I'm sure it shows up differently for everyone. No, I think you're, that's exactly it. It it can even turn into like an intellectual hypervigilance where we're always like, did I do that right? Did I do that right? Like, what am I, like my thinking, like I have to say the right thing. I mean, even showed up me feeling like I had to prepare Mm -hmm. you know because it's this feeling of like having to prepare like who do I have to be to please the mother so that I don't get killed yeah you know and it's very very buried in our unconscious right but it's the opposite of love you know sort of the negative mother the very critical mother I mean I don't really watch a lot of TV but like I was watching like Project Runway or something and there was like this advertisement for dance moms and I was like oh my god like totally like she's like yeah (laughs) the epitome of the fucking death mother and there's a show about it and people watch it and I'm like it's so ingrained in our culture right she's the wife of the patriarch will hold down the feminine right the um the life affirming creativity the truth speaking like the calling out of the abusive mom or the abuse or like whatever it is right Mm -hmm. she will like hold it down and like you know pull us towards death and suicide and depression I'm actually surprised that it's not talked about more (laughs) so now that we've gone through the characteristics of that archetype for anyone out there who may be identifying with this and feeling like they are experiencing the effects of that. Cause I know this would have helped me at some point, you know, we talk about what well, the opposite that is love that is the motherly care and nurturing. What does that feel like? Do you have any visualizations or anything to help move towards that or to em- start to embody that? Because when you've been operating in f- from a place, a cold place, just a a purely cognitive place. It can be very unfamiliar. 
and seem like a like a crevasse to leap over because it's all the way over there you know i don't know what that feels like how can we like bring that feeling of love closer to us to where it is more familiar yeah um it's a beautiful question and i feel like it's like the arc something i really want to write about right is that the archetype of the death mother it can also be thought of as like the archetypal journey from the death mother to the dark mother right because the dark mother is actually the one who holds Mm -hmm. right she's the transformative elemental feminine who holds through who who holds us through our emotions Mm -hmm. and nurtures and nurtures us and and like wakes us up and is life affirming. So I don't, I mean, I don't really have a visualization, but what I really feel is important to say is, you know, grief is a very, very important healing energy, right? Because grief is love. And I think that it's really, really detrimental to the well-being of any man or woman. So I work with men too. Any Anybody who has never felt like somehow intuitively sensed that I wasn't wanted, and even if we intellectually know that it wasn't personal. Like, I don't think my mom wanted to have a second baby, and she had me, and so I've always sort of known that. And it doesn't matter because in the cells of my body, there's like, I wasn't wanted, and so does life want me we have to grieve. We have to grieve it, right? We have to find, I feel like it's an incredibly difficult energy to work with alone because it's a relational wound. Sure. And and we actually need to experience a different kind of healing relationship. I understand. You know, but I know that I, when I was alone, I find that grief, grieving for myself is really loving myself. It's actually being the the dark feminine. It's being like, oh my gosh, like I wasn't wanted and that has impacted my life in such a profound way. And I'm allowed to grieve for myself. And I think in our culture, we see that as being a victim. And I, and I absolutely want to stand in the power that like grieving for yourself, having had a mother who didn't want you is not being a victim. We have to grieve for ourselves because Mm -hmm. it's otherwise we're trapped in the death energy. Grief is the energy that brings us back to life. It is life affirming. Mm-hmm. It's a natural response to loss, not just death, but the loss of things we never had. Like I was never mothered. I was never mothered, right? And the more that I grieve that, the more I actually open up my energy field to experience my own love mm-hmm. and to find my footing of how do I, what does it mean to, you know, and so the other thing is like, how do you can go move into the exploration of what does it mean to actually be a mother to myself? Because to me, because I had such an archetypal death mother myself, which I won't get into, but I had a very, very textbook archetypal death, like actual personal mother, <laughs> is that I've had to like train myself how to eat nourishing food and to take care of my body, right? Because how we take care of our body is how we mother ourselves. And with that, this was your experience, has come a tremendous amount of grief of having to work through feeling like I can make money and I can eat well. And so I just stopped focusing on making, I, f- I stopped focusing entirely on my business and started focusing entirely on healing the death mother energy. And then my business exploded, not because, Oh, this is what I meant to do. Although I feel like it might be, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's also because I feel like the more in alignment you get with your own Shakti and your own energy and you start to love yourself, then 
you're able to make money and you're able to like be in the world because you start to like create safety because I think it all boils down to safety. The resources that we draw and attract to ourselves are in the world around us is a reflection of our inner world. I, as soon as you brought it up, I was going to say, yeah, loving yourself and really cultivating and understanding what that means to you, what self-love means to you specifically, like you said, working with your inner parents. That's a really beautiful visualization even is just pretend or visualize who you're, who you are as a parent, as an inner parent to yourself, you know, and those first talk about being reborn, you know, if it was, I do a lot of like really deep transformational work so that my methods are kind of coming up right now, but like, that's where I would take it maybe is go through a rebirthing experience of some kind and just be the parents and imagine what those first few days are like and how overjoyed you are to have this new person that you get to shape and care for and nurture and love as they grow, as it grows, because I feel like it's an ongoing practice, right? It's not like you just do it once and then you love yourself. It's kind of like an ongoing growth and evolution, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think also just trying to do things that we love, spending time in nature, because I think empathing, loving energy is really important, right? So we go places where there's loving energy. We go Mm -hmm. to nature. We watch movies that are not violent. We watch movies that are sweet, right? We listen to music that's loving because everything that we listen to and watch, we take into the field. I feel like spending a lot of time in nature is really good. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good visual. I know for me, like I had such a hard time accessing anything around love for a very long time. Um, Me too. You know, my yeah. old spiritual teacher had once told me, you know, that like I just hated myself so much, you know. And so for years I was really sort of like, well, what is self-love? And I think for me, like I really self-love started when I was able to sit in the hatred that I have for myself, right? Because that's really the death mother. Like I hated myself so much. I didn't feel like I deserved to be here and to like actually be in it and see it and name it and and not just like say the words, like, I love you, but to like really, um, cause people are so hard on themselves. You know, yes. I, I sit in sessions and we locate the pain and there's almost like, okay, we need to fix it. We need to clear it. We need to get rid of it. And yeah. I'm always, Whoa. Yeah. Let's stay here you for know, a bit. <laughs> let's, let's just, you know, cause that to me is sort of like that, the parent coming and going, we just need to like cut off this limb. We need to get rid of this. We need to fix this because that's how our culture is. And mm-hmm. to come in really this energy I carry, right. Is that I think when we heal this, we become exquisite mothers to ourselves because we know, Oh, like you're in so much pain and you don't feel safe right now. Like, let's just be here. Like, let me just hold you. Let's just feel curious. And then the body will just start to like reveal memories and then grief moves through and then they're better and then they feel better and no fixing happened. You know, as much as I do shamanic work, I think that it's probably third of the work I do because I am really, really aware about how we can use a lot of spiritual tools to go in and try to fix the problem or clear mm-hmm. the energy when it's literally what is actually needed is that we need to learn how to attune to ourselves I think another sort of visualization 
is like literally visualizing like what does it mean to how can I lovingly attune myself so like if we're having an emotional experience or scared right because I think that's how it shows up a lot right is like fear instead of trying to like get like just be like oh like I'm feeling scared I attune to it what do I need right now to feel safe mm-hmm yeah, so that's really what a mother does when she has a baby, right? It's, oh, like, you're crying. Like, what do you need? Do you need water? Do you need a nap? Do you need milk? Like, do you need, like, what do you need? And then we have to learn how to treat ourselves like that. Like, oh, I'm scared. What do I need right now? Do mm. I need to, do I need soothing self-talk? Do I need to eat? Because I know for me, like, I actually will physically start to feel anxious if I, my blood sugar is low. Yep. Do I need to, mm-hmm. do I need to eat? And we'll start to develop an exquisite attunement to our emotional selves mm-hmm. for me specifically that's what I think of as self-love and that's really what I end up teaching in my sessions with clients is how do you start to really 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 cultivate like attunement practices of sitting with yourself every day <laughs> that's really yeah. beautiful and I agree it's almost like you would pretend like you're going to you're an expectant mother and mm-hmm. Okay, what are we going to, you know, maybe yeah. approach it that way? Need... Yeah. Yeah. I like the rebirthing thing too. Like, oh, like I am my own little baby and how can I, and I want myself, you know, but I think it also has to really start with what actually feels true for us. I found one thing that really, and maybe you can relate to this. I think we actually discussed this before. One thing that really helped me was I started working with, and it wasn't intentional that I was going to be doing inner child work. About a year ago, I started, a couple years ago, I started cultivating my own sense of femininity and working with and embodying the divine feminine and letting it express through me how it felt most correct and right for me because I don't know. There's, I mean, you can say there's a whole slew of factors growing up in the South and being sort of masculinized or, you know, having to be tough in the, um, in that sort of a climate or just our culture in general that really emphasizes the, you know, like again, the mind and and fixing the problem and maybe more like hyper-masculine ways of dealing with things. I had really aligned myself with that in order to get through life again, like that survival mentality. And when I, once I started bringing in and expressing myself as my own kind of feminine, because when we look out there, yeah, like we, gl- a lot of times the type of femininity that's glorified is just sickening. And it's not even, I don't even think it's true, like beautiful, like what the divine feminine is. It's kind of like that, yeah, weird shadow death mother side of it. So I was having none of that. Once I started, you know, holding that in my own way and expressing that in my own way, then I think that that facilitated the healing of the mother wound and the inner child. And um, I just, I feel like that's something I think that for men and women can be really helpful to, to sit with and to bring in, like, how does the divine feminine express through you from within you instead of trying to mirror what's out there in the culture. I absolutely agree. I mean, I think that our culture is very much delivering everything through the lens of the patriarchy, you know, which isn't about masculine or feminine so much as about domination and control, right? I mean, that's the nature of the patriarchy. And unfortunately, 
you know, what's being controlled and dominated is like the weaker energy, right? Which tends to be seen as the feminine qualities of emotion and love and compassion and kindness. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that you're absolutely correct. There is a lot of, there's a lot of death mother energy in the feminine for sure that is like conveyed. And it's also like in, in sisterhood and in a lot of spiritual scenes because we don't understand it. And it's, and it also is like overly sexualized too. I think that like there are, there are like healthy feminine things out there about like feminine sexual empowerment, but um, very rarely do you really hear people talk about like compassion and nurturing and love and creativity and that, you know, the feminine looks like there's like billions of people in the world and the feminine looks like every single one of them, you know, and that, there's so much richness and beauty. I was listening to you and I was thinking, oh, that's just a beautiful meditation to really reflect on the qualities of the divine feminine and how do we bring those through. And and then that can sometimes bring up the death mother because I think that when I am am most embodied and most, like she's super alive today right now in this conversation, right? Like she's sort of like, why are you saying what you're saying? You know, it's very, like the very, very intense energy and in like really learning how to turn towards her, myself with a lot of love and going, you are so wounded. I've been so wounded. And so it's showing up is this incredibly mean energy that is hell bent on taking me down. Mm. And the only thing that I know how to do is to sit with it and to pray, to pray and to turn towards it and to, to ask her what she needs Right. Yeah. And, to, and, to, and to give it to her, right? To give her the love that she needs, the power that she needs, the voice yeah. that she needs. And yeah. it starts to it starts to dissipate a little bit, right? Because it's really like... And soften. Yeah, because the wounded feminine, it's really like the feminine energy that's never been given a voice. Mm-hmm. You know? No, definitely. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as you were, as you were talking is we need to figure out how to show her love or how to give her the love that she didn't have without of course depleting our own energy that's that's a delicate balance too i think and i well she's holding our energy hostage yeah we offer her space because she's really also part of us right it's like our inner mother and so it's really right are you there i'm here okay it's still a little a little choppy. Okay. I think that's is better. That, is that better? Okay. Yeah, that's better. Sorry, I just cut out the last part if you remember oh, what you were saying. That's really that's really funny. I said it's really um, working with a death mother is really about how do we transmute death into life. Mm. So it's mm-hmm. funny. <laughs> I haven't had static. I haven't had um, interference like this in a while. So that's really interesting. (laughs) Uh, Yesterday I posted, I wrote a whole thing about the death mother um, very specifically. And, you know, all day long, it didn't look like any, but it was, it was weird. It was like, there was so much. It was, I'm sorry, repeat that. Repeat that again. It was all day long. It was, Wow. Like I posted it and then it seemed like it didn't actually post. 
Mm. Right. It was almost like I posted it and then this, this whole energy of static like surrounded it. Like it wasn't really there. It was really weird. And I didn't even see that people were engaged with it at all until like this morning. Wow. Um, and it's a very <laughs> interesting. You know, it's super interesting. That's working with energetics. <laughs> it's a whole new. Yeah. It's not new. It's just new to us as a as a culture, modern culture. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for going into depth and detail and being so loving. I feel like from an outsider's perspective, you're definitely embodying that and embodying the love and the the care that is needed. That's what I I think is felt when when people consume your writing i'm sure have a session with you <laughs> so thank you so much for that is there anything else you wanted to bring up today talk about um hmm. well first i also just wanted to thank you for sharing a little bit about like your work and where you come from like in the south and your experience right of um disconnecting from the feminine and how you had to survive because I think that that is really really important you know that it's a really important tale to tell like everyone right is how do we learn how to be women right because I you know very similarly when I was in grad school right especially in psychoanalytic training I felt like the feminine was pathologized so all of my gifts were she's really hysterical seen as <laughs> Yeah, she's hysterical. She's too, you know, whatever. And and mm. I, it was traumatizing to me. Like I started feeling like there was something wrong with me. And I think that that mm. energetic of trying to like open yourself up to how the feminine wants to come through you, and then like in embracing all the tension around that with so much love because whatever comes through is probably new, right? Who you are is like this beautiful unique blueprint right and, and like me you have you're bringing through all these different energetics of like the transformational work and the astrology and the land that you come from right and and the way that the feminine wants to move through you it's you know it's love and it's going to be totally different than the way that it moves through me and the land that raised me and and held me and so these stories are really important because it's like how do we weave the golden thread back to resurrecting the feminine because that's actually how we heal the masculine inside of us too right mm -hmm. because if all the energies inside of us are hell-bent on I think that's probably really the last thing I want to say right is that um, if all of our energies are sort of hell-bent on abusing our inner feminine right I you know I hear a lot of women who talk about like oh I have to hear heal my inner masculine I have to heal my inner masculine um, because my feminine is so weak and then I'm all like you know how do we know that the healing the inner masculine isn't actually that we need to face the death mother mm, yeah right right and then once we transmute that it's like the divine marriage right the divine union mm -hmm. it's safe to integrate um Absolutely. because I think that the death mother isn't just hell bent on killing off the wounded feminine but I think the healthy masculine too Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Right. right. And so it's sort of like really 
that's the thing. And, and I just love that you shared that um, because that's the archetypal journey coming from where you come from and then going, okay, like how do I embody this and create safe space for it? Yeah. Um, and true to that. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> uh, and thank you for, yeah, thank you. It's, it's just, I love talking. I feel like I could just talk to you about it all day. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, yeah. you'll have to come back on for sure because there's much to discuss these days. And as Absolutely. we continue to evolve, uh, before we wrap up, can you tell people who may be interested in following or working with you how they can find you online? Yeah, you can. My website, sacredalchemyhealing.com. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at sacred underscore, no, is it sacred underscore alchemy? Yeah. Or you can contact me through my website. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. I love that you're following your soul and you're doing this work with the podcast and also with your work that you're doing with people too. I love you. what you write about astrology. Thank I really you. do. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Thank that's you. taken that's taken a lot of healing as well to be able to share share that yeah, freely. Yeah, yeah. Nani, this has been amazing. Until next time, take care. <laughs> that was such an incredibly enlightening discussion, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. To get in touch with Nandi online, visit her website, sacredalchemyhealing.com, and follow her transformative writing on Instagram at sacred underscore alchemy. As always, thanks for listening, guys, and take care out there.